Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, this is episode number 389, How to De-Escalate Arguments and Manage Triggers, with my return guests, Paige and Don Mars. Hi, everybody. This is Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards that she deserves in life and love. Every week, I bring you a tip on how to become that woman of value. This week's tip is don't be a people pleaser. This is a big one. So many of us have grown up trying to be liked at at all costs, and we end up becoming people pleasers, and we really squish the personality that we have in order to be accepted by other people. And I remember I had a client who grew up in a, a home that she thought was really healthy and happy, and she couldn't understand why she attracted really unkind, selfish men. And we did some coaching and looked at her family blueprint, and it turns out that even though she had a loving home, it was a home where her mother was ill, and she had to really suppress who she was in order to not to you know not make too much noise and and get good grades so you don't upset your mother. And she ended up always suppressing who she was for decades until we started working together. And now she's like a full-out, really amazing person who is attracting all kinds of good stuff into her life. So my challenge for you is if you notice that you are doing something that's out of alignment with who you are just to please somebody else, just take a pause and pivot to something that really would be more in alignment with who you are. Uh, Before I bring on my guests, I want to remind everybody that I have a wonderful free Facebook group called Your Last First Date. So if you want positive guidance to find lasting love and you're over 40 and you're a woman, join us at Your Last First Date on Facebook. And now for my guests, my return guests, Paige Mars and Don Mars. They have been happily married for over 30 years. And they have worked together since the day they joined their lives. They co-author two how-to memoirs, both teach through story. Their first one is Executive in Passage. When life lets you know it's time to change, let let that knowing lead you, which chronicles Don's passionate struggle to leave behind the ethical conflicts in his career in advertising and find work that would be truly meaningful to him. The couple's second book is called Grabbing Lightning, The Messy Quest for an Extraordinary Love, and it reveals their messy, intimate journey to a love greater than either of them knew to reach for. Paige and Don have offered their relationship program, The Love Conversation, for more than a decade. They help couples and singles resolve their challenges and experience the love they yearn for instead. And they return to Last First Date Radio today to talk about how to de-escalate arguments and manage triggers. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Thank Sandy. you for inviting us. We're real happy to be back. Yeah, we're uh, so time. happy to have you. <laughs> we you. were having a really great conversation before we yeah, went on we air. Were. but we're <laughs> We were just saying yeah, we how were. we wish we could have recorded that. Um, 
But let's let's get right into it because I this topic is just so important and a lot of times when people argue, they get so triggered that they think, oh, my God, we can't be together. And what I said before we started is, like, it feels like I'm going to die, you know, that, that amygdala gets triggered and that fight-or-flight response kicks in, and often we will run away from a relationship. So what is your take on that? Well, let me let me start with that, uh, Sandy. The, we, um, we definitely think that the relationship is... Uh, just you should stay with it, even though you're arguing. As a matter of fact, uh, um, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for if it, if, it, uh, if we were partying because we were arguing. When we got together, we were so blissfully in love; it was just extraordinary. And then uh, a couple, I don't know, two, three, four weeks into it, I, you know, I must have said something, and Paige said something, and I said something back, and. Suddenly we were at war, and uh, it was the most painful, awful thing that either one of us felt. And so um, we think that you know uh, arguments are just part of the part of the quality of being, and that they uh, they really give you an opportunity to to find out more about the other person. And uh, as we'll probably talk about later, it gives you an opportunity to go even deeper into your relationship. They're very helpful. Mm. Uh-huh. If I would say, I would add it, capital I capital if if you know how to work big big large big big if you learn how to um, be in them and to respond to them and also in part how to de-escalate them um, so that the the basically the shorthand would be so that the love wins instead of whatever fear got triggered. Because if you keep letting the fear being triggered win, it really does lead to uh, what we see, and I'm sure you see this too, is that uh, either people uh, split ultimately or they stay together in less than a relationship that's much less than what they are capable of or they kind of live these siloed lives where they get together at times, but they really have a lot of separation between them instead of the juicy uh, togetherness that fosters personal growth in both and this beautiful coupling. Yeah, that's a really important piece. So both are important. Um, And I I was married with that separation, so I know what that feels Mm -hmm. like. It's a very alone feeling when Mm -hmm. you can't, resolve conflict. Um, In our case, there was a lot of uh, walking away from conflict on my husband's part, and I would try to resolve something, and he would just literally walk away from me. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't understand why that hurt so much until I started reading Gottman's work and Mm -hmm. understanding the four horsemen of how people argue and the worst ways to argue in a relationship. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of the issue. People. Yeah, um, but I also didn't really understand how to argue either. I mean, yeah. you know, I would yeah. get hurt, I would shut down, and I would stay and stay yeah. and stay and stay. <laughs> and so, um, but this is, it's just so important. And 
you know, when when somebody so that just to let people know what I'm talking about with the four horsemen, um, the four worst ways to argue, according to the Gottman Institute, are to uh, be defensive, to stonewall, which means to completely ignore a person, walk away, put the paper up while somebody's talking to you, um, criticism and contempt. So those are ways of basically, I'm right, you're wrong. There is no room for connection here. And Mm -hmm. what we're talking about is how to go deeper into the relationship through Mm -hmm. argument. So can you speak to that? Yes, actually, I would. I'd like to go into that first. The uh, as I started to talk about was uh, our early part of the relationship, and I draw on our relationship because it's been uh, really quite a extraordinary uh, experience for both of us. In the in the early days, I was you probably can recognize a guy like this. I was extremely defensive, and um, I don't know where that came from. I don't know what happened in my childhood, but I came came that way, and so it was fairly easy for us to tip into a, an argument if if Paige said something that seemed to 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 trigger me. So at the at the beginning, um, we had an argument, but again, was, as we've indicated earlier, it was so painful. We we got back together, which. Um, in order to get back together, Paige actually had uh, was really the clever one here because she realized that that a couple of things. One is that the argument needed to have an intelligent conversation, which requires two people, and that if I was going to be defensive, she was going to have to find a way to introduce the discussion without sounding like it's an attack. So I would imagine if two people are arguing and one person tries to start a discussion with an attack, like, why are you ignoring me, it's no wonder that you, that the argument continues. So she was able to realize that, to approach me in a way that I wouldn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just about mm-hmm. not approaching, basically, in your what you described, Sandy, of him walking away, you know, Mm-hmm. Leaving, I'm sure he did. You know, I'm sure at some point you were physically in the same place where you could try to talk again. But it's it's about it. It's certainly you can't start back with an attack, or if you do, that just re-triggers everything and even can make it worse. But the other thing is, you also can't walk on eggshells. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't be tiptoeing around either. Or again, it, you can, but it, you won't like the result. And mm-hmm. uh, I was so triggered by what would happen. So we would have some little misunderstanding. And I think that's one of the things that's so frustrating is, you know, it can be about the tiniest thing. I remember we were in a a group we were leading recently, and this woman, we were talking about this stuff, and she said, oh, God, I can't even begin. I don't even want to admit what it is that triggers us. And I said, oh, come on, you know. And, And she didn't. She said, well, we have this glass dining room table. And he always leaves it messy. He he like it gets dirty, and I'm cleaning it up three times a day, and it's uh-huh. like driving them bonkers. And that's so typical to hear of these things that we think shouldn't bother us, but they do for whatever reason. And so in our case, it was something would happen, and I would try to talk about it, 
I would try to keep going in the conversation or come back to it, and he would snap with this really sharp tone about not wanting to talk or he'd walk away or some some form of that, like I'm not talking about this in said in whatever words. And I would have one of two reactions. I would be either so stunned by it that I couldn't talk and now, you know, I was just floored, or I'd be angry and frustrated and I would try to keep talking, both of which, of course, backfired. And um, when Don said graciously that I, uh, you know, figured out how to do that is we we had this thing before we got together, we both had recognized through, you know, our own inner work and the studying we'd done the that love that that the love we felt that it, the deep depth of pristine love was really a um, a reflection of something larger what we would call a transcendent love or an eternal love so it we had the mindset that it was that the love itself was uh, abiding and there if we could get back to it and also understood that the fear reactions were um, were also transitory if we let them be, that they didn't have mm. to rule our our lives. So I tried a, just basically a gazillion. I did experimented. I tried a gazillion different approaches. <laughs> and <laughs> how do I? I did. I was going okay. Let me try this. I'm, I was like, okay, he doesn't want to talk at the end of the day because he's busy and tired. Okay, I'll try in the morning. <laughs> mm. I was like, no, I want to go to work. <laughs> I remember this whole experimental phase, and and I went and he was, you know, he tried to respond well, but it, it, it we were pretty not who we were thirty thirty three plus years ago. We weren't who we are now, and I remember the thing that uh, I stumbled on that really worked for us, and that I think worked has worked for a lot of people we've worked with, is that I would come back to him after doing a bunch of inner work on my own. And I would say something like, um, look, I'm struggling with something, and I need your help, and mm. I need to talk about it. And I would sometimes even say, and before you say, you know, you're up for talking about it, let me warn you up front that when I describe my view of what was going on, you're going to look like the villain. <laughs> Are you sure you <laughs> can talk about this? And I did it playfully. I did it, and I... And I and it boy I tell you it turned things around. <laughs> it was very it was wow. uh, it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was it was a very very funny experience in the sense that I had I had had this I think I mentioned it the last time we were together that I had this kind of epiphany out of body experience of uh, of you know that everything was love and that uh, the earth is love I was love everyone's love there's nothing not love and once you know the truth in that sense, that stays with you as a reality. And I had created a company with that as its basis, but then I started this relationship, and somehow I never connected love with relationship. Now that sounds stupid, but there was a sense of <laughs> uh, a sense of I know how to be loving to a client, and I know how to be loving to Paige, who I love. But uh, these arguments sort of got out of hand before I could do anything about them, and so for, so it got exempt somehow. That I that what was so wonderful about those early years was that 
page was relationally oriented so that we were able to transmute all of my poor learning about relationships through this incredible crucible of this woman's love. And she just kept finding ways of whatever. The, and I think this is one of the keys of, of this, you know, whether you're you're arguing with your child or you're arguing with your husband or your uncle or, you know, the, somebody at work or something. There's always fear at the bottom of it. So that was part of my uh-huh. part of the epiphany that I had. Was it that the root of every argument is fear, a fear of something? For me, it was fear that she she found something critical in me and I didn't. I'm not lovable, or fear that oh my gosh, we made a mistake. Are we are we going to is this relationship durable? Um, but there are little. We got fear after fear after fear. And that's what gets provoked. So once once I realized that that all I learned in business and in this this, this great experience I had was applicable to to, <laughs> to a relationship, I thought, wow, this is amazing. That if we keep defaulting to love, love is much stronger than a, than a fear emotion because it's a transcendent. It's a human experience of a transcendent reality. So so going into it, then all we need to do is overwhelm fear with the ability to love. Of course, then then the strategy is how do you get both people in a loving mood again? It's really, it's, that's... And work out the real issues, because you can't just, uh, otherwise you're, yeah, there there are real issues that have to be discussed. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because when one partner de-escalates, it it really helps the other partner tremendously, which is what you were talking about. The page comes back, and she's trying to, you know, find a way to get in sideways, upside down, backwards, (laughs) until you finally find it. Well, I I can relate because I tried here for twenty three years to. You know, f- figure out a way to get through to my husband. <laughs> I thought if I just say it differently and at a different time. I mean, I tried. Um, yeah, but well, you know, there were other things that weren't present that couldn't make the relationship work. And so, a couple things that I just want to highlight here: just you know, making love the primary focus. That love is more important than fear, and knowing the value of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And keeping that front and center is so mm-hmm. important because we can easily lose focus when we get into fear mode. Um, so I just I love all of that, and I also love mm-hmm. that page you were playful and also you know stated um, your intention mm-hmm. and asked for help, which is also yeah. a tapping into his mm-hmm. masculinity and his, yeah. you know, all the smart smart ways yeah. to get through to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. And, it, yeah, that's true. And it may not be that way with every couple. I think the point is that you look for, ultimately what you're looking for is how do I approach this person who I love, who I'm really pissed at, mm-hmm. and in a way that makes us both feel safe enough to enter an intimate, vulnerable conversation about something that was very hurtful for both of us. And 
So, and it might be very the 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 entry line might be really different for different people. This one, I think, happens. I, I get feedback that that one works for a lot of people, <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's great. But it's but it's but the point isn't the line. The point is doing the inner work enough, the self um, reflection and the self transformation. We even call it a self intervention enough so that. Um, in in my case, if I say with that story, I couldn't get to that line right away. Even after I, even after I knew it to do that, I couldn't say it in a way that you just heard me say it until I spent a little time on my own and I paid attention to what was happening in my body and the knot in my stomach and my feeling angry or hurt and that damn inner rant that went on in my head about what went wrong and it was critical and he shouldn't have said that and why does he keep doing it, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> and and to do, to, to uh, but but doing that, if you know in the back of your head, well, I know that's a fear fest and I know I'm going to come back to love here if I stay with it. And then that noticing leads to calming, which we now know why from the neurosciences and what all the hormones are. And basically I looked, it wasn't so much what I said, I looked for, in myself, this was my cue, somewhere along the line, I shifted from being mad to feeling sad. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be like, this is not, I don't like this. And I also noticed, there was, so it was mad to sad, and it was also from my mind feeling very jumbled to being clear. And once I was uh, sad and somewhat clear-minded, or let's say less, not so jumble-minded, then I felt like I could think clearly enough to make a wise choice about what to do, whether I approached him then or later or whether I started with that line or whether I just went in and said, I think we probably said this last time because we use it a lot, whether I said I'm sorry for my part and Mm -hmm. we just hug and table it and do it. You know, it just it's really about the inner, the real key. People want to know how to de-escalate an argument. The real question should be how do you de-escalate yourself? Mm -hmm. Because you've got to do that first. Somebody has to do that first, as you as you said. You know, just I want to play off what you've just said, um, if you don't mind. That that Paige got herself back to love in some fashion, so that she could approach me from a place of wholeness with inside of herself. But part of it was you. It's difficult to to approach somebody in love if they're angry. So I think what was so skillful was that she disarmed my fear. She was right. she opened her discussion with, you know, I'm sorry for my part, but after that it was, this is not about you. This is about something going on inside of me, and right away, I was released from my from my anger, my fear because I, it, it, she she said it was about her so. Then I was in the, if she would cast me in a role of being kind and helpful to the woman I love. Which you are by nature. Which I am by nature. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. so I could listen. And, you know, the hormones, of course, are going to be drumming through the body for hours afterwards. And, but I'm in a much, much subdued, subdued state. But, and I think part of what, what, you know, part of what comes out of this is that it's really important to somehow get the love first before mm. we before she says 
This is yeah. This is my discussion. This is where you. This is where it's going to hurt you a little bit because you you, because she already had me in a loving state back then because Mm. we hugged and whatever. So so it gets a little tricky, but it if you if it's it's a simple equation of love is stronger than 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 the fear you got, and you'll have to find out what is the fear that other person had and what's the fear I had, and then you're more able to go back into a loving state and address them in a way that's not going to further provoke them. Mm. So I'm also hearing a lot of curiosity, a lot of mm-hmm. curiosity about self and about the other mm-hmm. to really get to that place of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's. I think that's an astute observation, and I and when you, which I did in my doctoral work, is looking at the the neurobiology of fear and the neurobio compared to the neurobiology of um, love or connection, what's what's generally called social engagement, is you see that the the state of fear we all know is there's nothing curious about it, and appropriately so. If you're about to be eaten by a tiger, you don't have to wonder whether the tiger is a male or a female, you just have to get out of there. You know, you don't have to be curious. So in a fear state, curiosity isn't there, but curiosity is very present when we're in a more, what we would think of as a whole self state, when you're back to um, your access to being able to, you know, you have a clear mind and a warm heart, and and what one of the things that goes with it, one of, I forget whether it's 11 or 15, there are qualities of that state, but uh, one of them is curiosity and the, the urge to inquire and to learn. It's also where mm-hmm. our um, intuition sits, too. So if, if one of the things that you think of, if you think of fear, the state of fear and the state of um, love or the state of neurobiologically of being safe versus not safe, they're on like a teeter-totter. So when fear is high, um, love and openness is and clear-mindedness is low and vice versa so that you, that's why it's so important to really pay attention to what's going on inside of you in each of us before we can continue into the engagement because we're just do otherwise it's like we call you know you said the amygdala we talk about the lizard brain and we go otherwise it's two lizards talking instead of two humans like yeah. it really doesn't work very it, well. And you just shouldn't <laughs> do it. Just stop that. <laughs> yeah, really. I don't want to be thought of as a lizard. Um, no, you know, and it's, no. it's, Although uh, it might it's be so better present. than a reptile. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why um, I use lizard seems, instead of reptilian. <laughs> right, right. No, I, lizards are cute. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I in the dating world, because we were mm. immersed in this swipe left, swipe mm. right, barely get mm. to know each other, making mm. huge assumptions and judgments and mm. and there's so many triggers. And I I recently had an experience with a guy who um wanted to meet me and gave me two options to meet and I told him one was better than the other and then he said, No, I can't meet that day, I'm working and I was like I got a little curious. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you said that was one of the options. And I said, so, okay, the other option is a little tighter for me. And I gave him the time frame. And he said, oh, that's not going to work for me. I'm looking for a woman who is really flexible and 
um, can match my lifestyle, isn't super busy. I was like, whoa. And then he just, like, disappeared. He completely wrote me off. And I took a breath and went like, wow, that guy was easily triggered. I'm Mm -hmm. glad Mm -hmm. we didn't meet for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, up front. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. a that was yeah. a kind alert for you to. Yeah, it was. And he has a psychology background, by the way. Um, oh, interesting. Anyway, <laughs> this is it happens all the time, though. And if you can't manage your triggers, you think, "What did I do? Oh my God! Yeah. You know, I'm at fault. I shouldn't. I should have been more flexible. I should. Whatever. You know. And it's yeah. so. So let's let's go back to just the def- definition of triggers which you know like how do we how do we get those triggers where do they come from and how do we you know so just just the definition first and then we can talk a little bit more yeah. about how do we de-escalate those triggers how do we de-escalate them okay let me mm-hmm. let me go with that one um the uh we're hardwired to be triggered as as you know so i think that's one of the most important things to understand is that the our whole survival system, which I won't go into because it takes too long, and I think your audience probably understands, but that fight, flight, freeze system that's so important to keep our physical safety intact um, is on purpose wired, designed to be extremely fast and reactive, so that we can basic it can help us basically not become dead and. Mm-hmm. The uh, and so in a sense we're designed. You could say we're designed with hair, hair triggers on purpose and thankfully. So fundamentally, mm-hmm. the body that we walk around in has that. So and if you don't have it, it's a really bad problem. So you want it. Then um, it's uh, uh, and this was when I was studying this stuff. I was in our backyard and heard this kind of a funny sound. And I looked down. There were four of us out there. Don and I and two friends. And I thought the sprinklers were going to go off, and instead, within very close striking range, probably about four feet, was the head of a very large uh, coiled rattlesnake. And, yeah, it was really bad. And I immediately leapt backwards and kind of over this chair and spun around and didn't fall down. And I am not... I am the most unathletic person. Well, maybe they're not the most, but I'm extremely <laughs> unathletic. And there's no way you could get me to do something like that, but I did it. And so that was my uh, my fear system being triggered in the best way, right? My my uh-huh. uh, little friend, my lizard brain, saved me from its cousin, the rattlesnake. So yay! And <laughs> but the but one part of the wiring is that. In order for it to be that fast and effective, it's also wired to not be able to tell the difference between the the sound of the rattling of the rattler and when and Don kind of huffing at 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 or snarling at something I said or being cranky at something I said or whatever, which he doesn't. I mean, I gotta tell you that like never happens anymore. This is all we're talking about the first maybe three to five years before we got it worked out. But um, anyway, because I don't want him to sound like he's still that way because he's not, and he's incredibly receptive, and he had a lot to do with it. But anyway, if but if something – but the whole point is that that trigger system, the, the keep-me-safe system, is also, in order to work, it can't tell the difference between the rattlesnake and him snapping at me just a little bit. And so my your uh-huh. whole system goes into the same reaction, and I have found that two things 
are the most important and create a shortcut for helping people learn to manage their triggers. And it's not by knowing their emotional source. That isn't one of them. Not that that's not valuable, but it's two things. It's one is knowing the neurobiology of it, like like we just talked about, and it's also then taking the time to see how that fear system drives what you might call a conversation gone bad. And so you'd look at how does that, how does the trigger make the tone in your voice come across in a way that triggers the other person more rather than makes them feel safe? Or how does your mm-hmm. timing do that? So something about the combination, and this is actually what my doctoral research was about, um, so I'm going to cut it short because I could talk for three hours, the, um, <laughs> is, the, is that basically the combination of understanding that that's in your neurobiology, the trigger, and that it, it, it manifests in the way we speak to one another in our conversations, that tends to give people the key to knowing to go, okay, I can let my neurobiology calm down. I'm almost always overreacting in a in a relation when the problem is a relationship thing rather than a rattlesnake and then if i look at how i'm behaving whether i'm raising my voice or speaking like really obsequiously and nice you know being little or people pleasing like you mentioned people pleasing uh-huh. is one of, that's a manifestation of fear that's your lizard brain trying to avoid being criticized or disappointing somebody or something it's still a fear fest uh-huh. so uh-huh. those we find that those and, the, and you see many many what we call masks of fear in com- happening in relationships and in the way we speak to one another or don't speak to one another and those two insights for us have been the most important thing to know about triggers mm, fascinating so the neurobiology and understanding how it manifests in us and then co- learning how to mm. say that again it's 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 the neurobiology and it's understanding how that that fear reaction, how the trigger reaction be, becomes enacted, if I can say, how we enact uh-huh. or do or behave that those that triggeredness in our conversations with one another. Because our conversations are where almost everything goes wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean even how often do you hear somebody say it's not what you said or what you did it's how you said it <laughs> right you know right and so it's our ability in our ability to communicate with one another in our conversations that matters and when you can step back and see how your lizard brain is is driving the conversation light bulbs go off and you go oh my god i really didn't have to do that i had another choice mm. so there's an so you have power and leverage, and that uh, we have found seeing the fear reaction in yourself in your body and seeing it how it gets behaved in a conversation gone bad with your beloved gives you, uh, what would you call it? It's like a, it's a shortcut into shifting it, and that takes less time than spending a lot of time uh, or enormous effort in understanding where the trigger came from and was it my mom or my dad or a past life uh-huh. not th- again a lot of that stuff is i totally think that that's valuable but you can get you can clean up a lot by just those two things we just said those focusing uh-huh. on those two areas yeah i love that and the why is never as important as the 
the how <laughs> and how it manifests yeah. and how we can deal with it because I mean, I always love to know where things come from just to understand how we got to where we are. And then, yeah. then what, yeah. right? Exactly. It's, it's sort of putting the pieces of the puzzle together, but mm. often people don't give you tools to then deal with, okay, so we're here, and now what? What do you do? Yeah, exactly. We're, we're mm-hmm. heavy fans of tools. You know, one of the other yeah. things in, uh, <laughs> one of the, other things in uh, the neurosciences is that in case you get the feeling that fear is the boss in the body, mm. that there's a lot more going on neurologically that supports love, relationship, compassion, understanding, that mindfulness, that, that kind of thing, yeah. and that we have a lot of support for you know, the, our normal ideals of caring about the other person and embracing other people. And you know, when, when the fires were going on out here in California, well, the amazing thing is how everybody ran to the aid of everybody else. It was just an astonishing thing. Right in the middle of a yeah. country that is so so separated right now, they're like it was like compassion. We really can do, default to compassion and love, but sometimes we have to be reminded that that's most important for us. Yeah. Basically, we're more, even though the fear is a very strong reaction, we are more wired to love and connect than we are to um, be reactive. One is just louder mm-hmm. than the other. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really true, and and you see it like here in New York after nine eleven, how people came together. Any crisis, oh, yes. really, people Absolutely. come together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I think, think if people can really work on the fears. Um, and because mm-hmm. there's so many layers underneath it, you know, and and mm-hmm. they can really see what the emotions are and get connected to their, themselves, to being calm, to being able to really see the yeah. issue without being in, in fear. Um, yeah. And then what's the most important thing? It's like when I always said when when it came to public speaking and I was petrified, my mission was more important than my fear. The love yeah. for what I did overcame mm-hmm. my fear. And mm-hmm. that's important. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. in anything yeah. we do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's exactly what in relationships, too, and what kept me trying to figure out how to manage, you know, how to get us into a better conversation. And also for Don, equally his willingness to go there, I was just happened to be a little more proactive about it at the end. But he was a very willing participant. He was not resistant mm-hmm. to that. Um, the uh, I was that, I, had, I was sold on love. <laughs> you know <laughs> when we met, uh, but I just never I confused it with with business rather than with quite relationship. I, I had to start all over again. Yeah, yeah. Which well, we do, less but vulnerable uh, in business too. I mean, exactly. Right? There's so <laughs> much more at stake, and we get so much more triggered in relationship because it starts tapping into basically a core fear: is I'm not lovable, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that really gets poked at in a relationship when things are going uh, sideways. You know, there's a we mentioned earlier on that the uh, that you can use your glitches to get go deeper and here you are in this this moment where you've been disarmed both of you and there's this kind of this upwelling of a renewed love again and 
and um, willingness to kind of work out whatever it was. And and um, there's a moment of great intimacy in those in those times where you're exposing yourself in ways totally disarmed, in ways you may have never done before. And what happens in a relationship with two people, if they continue to disarm the fear and go deeper and deeper into the love, you really access that that transcendent quality of love. You're 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 developing your, your relationship along a line of a resource that is unlimited. Whereas if you were doing it in a fearful way, it's a very limited, narrow, crunchy, um, negative yeah. development. Well, and what you what you just said there to me it reminds me of when um, Sandy, when you said that your your love of your mission and your commitment to do that work was bigger than your fear. I thought uh-huh. um, that's true for us too. And what Don just described about the potential of relationship that very few people get to experience, but that we not only experience, but we know in many um, evidence-based groundings what that is and how to do it. It's so important for people that we're doing this work and going out of our com- way out of our comfort zone, and way- we're both really introverted and would just rather stay home and see a few clients than do that. That's more. That's you know, we step outside of that, and fears start to get triggered. So, but it is that thing of, and that's why we wrote that book, Grabbing Lightning. You know, it's like that's a, that's intimate and vulnerable stuff. But we care more about the having more love on the planet than and less fear than we care about our own triggering our own fears. So it, we're we're all in that same boat of trying to get behind what we care about despite our fear. I love it. Um, well, this has been an amazing show, and I love the conversation with you guys. You, you're doing so much good in the world. Um, let, let everybody know how they can find your book, because this is a much deeper conversation, and people can go deeper with with your website yeah. and your book. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for the question. Uh, first, The book is called Grabbing Lightning, The Messy Quest for an Extraordinary Love. It's um, The Messy Quest for an Extraordinary Love, and so if you just look that up, or you you know, our last name is with two R's, Mars, on Amazon. It's also on Barnes and & Noble and, and uh, like, a, I don't know, eight or something of other online booksellers. So it's pretty easy to find um, that way. And, by the way, the messiness that's in that title, the messy quest for an extraordinary love, that's what we're talking about today is the messy quest for yeah. an extraordinary love. So, um, and as you said as you were reading our little bio, it is, it's a, it's a love story. It's a story. It, it reads fast, but it does illuminate people. And in that way, it's kind of been dubbed a how-to memoir by some by a reviewer. Um, so that's how to find the book. And then we're at um, the program that we use is called the Love Conversation, or that we teach. And so our mm-hmm. website is theloveconversation.com. It's not the Love Connection; it's the Love Conversation <laughs> because love okay. gets created and destroyed in conversations. <laughs> so it's mm. called the Love Conversation. And same thing on on Facebook. If you want to join us there, we're new to Facebook, so it's kind of messy for us. But hey, come on over <laughs> and say hi. Join the mess. <laughs> yeah, well, thank it's you really so messy. much. 
Oh. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to get cut off in two minutes, so I just want oh, to thank you again, and thank everybody for listening today. I hope that you have some great takeaways, as I do every time I talk to Paige and Don. And um, if you love our show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, and we hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.